You're listening to the On the Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending September 25th, 2015. Hello and welcome back to our weekly recap of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Bill's colleague, content developer and fellow news writer, Dara Curran. Now, as we're recording the podcast, we still don't have any final word on a continuing resolution to fund government after next Wednesday at midnight, but we'll be following those developments very closely over the next few days, as will our listeners, I am sure. Uh, So, Dara, have you heard about the new corduroy pillows? (laughs) The new corduroy pillows? They're making headlines. Nice segue. Okay. (laughs) The General Services Administration has added a new special item number for 3D printing services to the Schedule 36 for Office, Imaging, and Document Solutions. Now, 3D printers and services have been available to agencies previously, but the new SIN 51-400 provides a central repository for buyers and vendors. Four contractors are currently providing 3D printing services on the SIN. GSA's 18F team is testing software for its new Federalist platform, which is a group of tools that will allow agencies to quickly and inexpensively build new websites and manage existing ones. The suite of tools automates tasks that integrate common site functions and will offer a variety of templates to which agencies can add their own content to rapidly create public-facing sites that are 508 compliant and accessible on both traditional and mobile devices. Federalist is aimed at government developers who need to quickly launch a reliable platform to host a static website and federal organizations that may not have a developer on staff but still need a secure, accessible way to get their content out to the public. The platform is just in the early testing stages right now and accepting only a limited number of users, but interested organizations can contact ATF to learn more. GSA also pointed out this past week that the Office of Defense Procurement and Acquisition Policy had a small but very significant crumb of information in their July 31st guidance on how to properly order from federal supply schedules, which makes it easier for defense components to order from outside contract vehicles. The guidance had clarified that the term determination, as used in Federal Acquisition Regulation 17.502-1, does not mean determinations and findings. Instead, simply refers to the requesting agency's actual determination that use of an interagency acquisition is the best procurement approach, and that can be accomplished simply with a memorandum to file. That eliminates the need for a FAR 1.7 D&F and a multi-level approval chain, and makes it easier for DOD to take advantage of ordering from programs like OASIS. Good stuff. In a September 11 memorandum, Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition Technology and Logistics Frank Kendall delegated some milestone decision authorities to the military service secretaries. In the memo, Kendall made the following changes. The Secretary of the Army will have authority over the indirect fire protection capability increment 2 intercept, Block 1 only, the Chinook H-47 Block 2, and some other programs. The Secretary of the Navy will have authority over the Virginia-class submarine and fleet replenishment oilers. And the Secretary of the Air Force will have authority over the Space Fence Ground-Based Radio System Increment 1 and the Advanced Extremely High-Frequency Satellite Program. 
The secretaries also will be accountable for program costs, schedule, and performance. Uh, Kendall previously has resisted proposals to grant this authority to the service chiefs, uh, suggesting that they don't have the right expertise in acquisition or program management to properly oversee major programs. But Senate Armed Services Committee Chairman John McCain has added language to the Fiscal 2016 Defense Authorization Act that would enhance the role of the service chiefs in acquisition, give greater decision-making authority to the services, and establish performance agreements to increase accountability. And we'll be watching to see if that language makes it through into the final version of the bill. Also in defense news, President Barack Obama plans to nominate Eric Fanning as the next Secretary of the Army. Fanning currently is acting Undersecretary of the Army and previously has served as Undersecretary of the Air Force and Deputy Undersecretary of the Navy. If confirmed by the Senate, Fanning will succeed John McHugh. And finally, congratulations to Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition, William LaPlante, who was honored with the W. Stewart Symington Award. That award recognizes civilians in the field of national defense, and the Air Force Association has commended LaPlante for his role in the development of acquisition policy and his public role in the nation's defense. GSA and the Department of Homeland Security have awarded three more task orders under the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation, or CDM, Cyber Monitoring Program, expanding that to an additional 17 agencies. This means CDM tools and services are now available to 97% of the federal civilian government, so take advantage of those tools. The three awards are part of six ultimately planned under the Continuous Monitoring as a Service Blanket Purchase Agreement. And we had some regulatory activity this week from the Department of Defense. First up, DOD published a proposed rule that would amend the DFARS to further address required sources of electronic parts. Specifically, with limited exceptions, the rule would require DOD and its contractors and subcontractors to acquire electronic parts from trusted suppliers in order to avoid the introduction of counterfeit parts into the defense supply chain and DOD programs. Of note, the clause would apply to procurements of electronic parts, also to end items, components, parts, or assemblies containing electronic parts, and also to services if the contractor will supply electronic parts or components as part of the service. The new clause will not be limited to contractors subject to cost accounting standards. It would apply to small business set-asides and would flow down to subcontracts, including those for commercial items. Contractors and subcontractors that are not the original manufacturers would be required to have a risk-based system for tracing electronic parts from the original manufacturer to acceptance by the government, and they would be required to notify the contracting officer if it is not possible to obtain a part from a trusted supplier. The contractor would be responsible for inspecting, testing, and authenticating parts obtained from sources other than a trusted supplier. And finally, the rule also proposes new definitions for some of these terms, authorized dealer, trusted supplier, and original manufacturer. Comments on that proposed rule are due by November 20th. DOD also announced it is waiving the statutory limitation for certain defense items produced in the United Kingdom. Now, for certain items, DOD purchases are limited to manufacturers in the national technology and industrial base, and this waiver will permit the department to procure a number of additional items from sources in the UK unless otherwise restricted by statute. Now, those items include air circuit breakers, gyro compasses, electronic navigation chart systems, steering controls, pumps, propulsion and machinery control systems, totally enclosed lifeboats. That's a lot of things. And this waiver is effective October 6th, 2015, and it will last until October 4th, 2016. Hmm. 
And that's it for headlines. Okay. So I actually had a thing this week. Uh, everything's this week. It's all, it's all the Pope, all the Pope, all Pope. the time. Yep. Or the shutdown. There, that's the, there's only two topics in the news this week. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but there's there was actually something from last week we, that we we didn't discuss since we had Scott Cox. Special guest, yes. Special guest. Um, and I've been mulling over that, and it was something I, I thought it was good. Um, you know, a lot of times in this this part of the podcast, we we you know we we look at hot topics, we look at trends, we look at something that's caught our eye, something interesting, and you know we kind of go into buzzword territory, you know, mm. inno- innovation, and uh, <laughs> you know, agile comp- agile development, cloud computing, right? The buzzwords we don't want to hear anymore about <laughs> oversaturation of buzz. Okay, and, anyway, sorry. Until ahead. today, and so today's buzzword is risk, Ooh. and specifically acquisition risk. And I have to say, honestly, when I hear when I hear someone talk about acquisition risk or taking more risk. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Uh, it is. It's just it's like, what are you talking about? You know, because the only people talking about risk or having more risk, not not just not, not mitigating risk or eliminating risk, but having more risk, that's contractors, former feds, right? People that don't have skin in the game anymore. Sure. Uh, the you know, armchair you folks. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't hear the president or OMB, you know, encouraging agencies to take more risks, no. right? Congress is counting paper clips, uh, and, you know. It's, it's, but industry loves it. Industry loves talking about risk, and sure. and the second and the reason why it really grates on me um, is no one will say what they mean by it. Like Wait. there's lots of commentaries yes. saying, "Oh, take more risks," but there's no here's here's a list. I, I was totally going to say that. What what is this nebulous term? Right? It's I, it, this isn't like cloud for example okay so people are probably still vague occasionally on where is this alleged cloud located right but at least the majority of people now know what we are talking about when we talk about the cloud well risk though that's just fuzzy what kind of risk dangerous sounding but vague right right and even innovation right you can yes we could, we could go back and point to 10 things new ideas different way of looking at the far new technologies using technology in new ways and even innovation which sounds corny Government is actually trying to do new things. A lot of agencies are trying new ideas, uh, you know. But, and we watch this topic. You and I read a lot of contracting news every day. Yes, uh, yes, we read it, so you don't have to. And, <laughs> and the, yeah, the commentary and the pundits and the interviews, and you know, we read all that stuff. And lots of people are encouraging agencies to take risks, and without those specifics. And if I was a contracting officer and someone told me to take more risks, my first question would be, well, and, and what risk would you like me to take? You know, this topic just befuddles me because, you know, like I said, all the guidance coming from the administration is about reducing risk. Use your fixed price contracts. Use Agile. Buy cloud or commercial products instead of expensive custom systems that might lock you into relying on a single vendor. Right, right. That or, kind of stuff. Or shift your risk to someone else. You know, let, let somebody else take the, you know, if, if it becomes apparent that you need it later in the process, let them redo the plans or augment the requirements or whatever it is, but yeah, not away from the government's plate. Thank you very much. Yes, exactly. exactly. Well, share and savings, you know, the energy savings performance contracts, the pay for success, all this stuff. And with VAO, you know, all our training, all our advice is about reducing risk. Do your market research, get your requirements right, understand your end user needs. Performance-based acquisition, right? That's all about reducing risk. Right. Competition, uh, you know, having good milestones and deadlines and service levels and monitoring your performance, you know, that's all about reducing risk, which, which is why I have this disconnect because this is what I do every day, right? This is what we exactly. do. Yes. And then I hear, you know, I hear people telling us to take more risks. But 
in a roundabout way. This does bring me to my point. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> there, was, there is one. This is not just a rant, although I, I like a, I like a good rant, but oh, this yeah. is not just a rant. Um, I found a very good example of what I, you know, of an acquisition risk, and it was a very nice aha moment when I saw one. I was like, wow, there's one. Um, you know, this agency is making a jump from one idea to another. Um, with a bit of a safety net, but no real guarantees that everything is going to work out smoothly. Um, in an interview with Federal Times, Transportation Security Administration CIO Stephen Rice talked about overhauling TSA's IT enterprise. And he covered budget issues and transitioning to mobile devices and things like that. And near the end of the interview, he mentioned something that's very interesting. And uh, Like many agencies, TSA is migrating to the cloud in part because it can no longer afford to own all of its infrastructure. It can't afford to keep constantly refreshing its technology to keep it 100% current. So they're, they're, they're moving what they can to the cloud. Um, and part of that migration is ensuring that their applications will function in the cloud as well as or maybe better than they do in the current environment and also identifying new capabilities that TSA can take advantage of as they move to the cloud, what can they do now with this new tool that they couldn't do with the old stuff? Okay. And one way Rice is forcing the issue is by allowing a current IT management service contract to expire. This contractor manages some legacy IT for TSA, and the contract expires in June 2017. And Rice has informed his team that it will not be renewed, and these platforms are going to be turned off. That's it. And so for the next contract, the next set of requirements, this system will be in the cloud come what may. So the system owners have a little less than two years to figure out how those applications will work in the cloud and maybe how they could work better. So, you know, it's a calculated risk, right? I mean, there's a good bit of advance notice and, and, you know, the cloud, like you said, isn't some weird thing, right? You know, a couple of years ago, who knew what it was? Tech folks knew, but, you know, the average you know, person on the street but didn't have an iPhone, didn't know what the cloud was. Right. Um, but, yeah, it, it's still it's, – it's risky, and Rice acknowledged that. You know, in about 20 months, there will be no contractor to support that legacy system. And he's not moving something a little bit here or a little bit there. Um, you know, he's not buying extra support like extra storage that he might not need right away or extra computing capacity. He's going all in with this cloud migration and has set a very firm deadline. That right. contract's going away. Sink or swim. Kind of. Right. Yep. And, you know, it's not completely without a net, but I thought this was a really good example of an agency, in this case TSA, um, taking a smart risk that could pay off in a number of ways. Uh, you know, with this acquisition plan, TSA will get newer technology from their cloud vendor. They'll avoid the cost of buying new systems and maintaining the old one, and they might be able to leverage the new technologies to gain efficiencies or some innovation, some new tools on that platform. Um, and that office has 20 months or so to get its ducks in a row. That, that definitely is very interesting. I, I like that he's just kind of forcing everybody you know, off the edge of the diving board here. And, of course, it, you know, the situation's perfect and tailor-made for, you know, one of the other re- recurring buzzwords of Agile. You know, I mean, they don't exactly know what they're going to need. It's a perfect opportunity to structure the vehicles to either allow for evolution, whatever tools they first start off using to, you know, change or using tools that are themselves built to evolve so but with you know with cloud there is no thing there right it's just it's it can change and and just you know become whatever and and you know automatically refresh and and i like the four stop of the status quo like it can be really hard to shake cultures up we hear a lot about that you know um people are used to doing things a certain way so you know again off the end of the diving board you get you have to go you know to a, a 
new thing. So, and as you mentioned, one of the IT pain points we hear so much about, the malingering legacy systems. Right. They're at that old yep. car point, right? You got the trustworthy old car, but then, you know, your odometer gets up over 200,000 and suddenly, you know, <laughs> the brakes are going and, and keep this thing on the road. I'm going to have to pour so much money into it. Um, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, you, these legacy systems are totally at that point. Um, yes, and, you know, yes. but they're so they're so big. Right. People are like, oh, how are we going to replace them? Where is the money going to come from? Um, but at the same time, all of that money is going into the upgrades, and the Band-Aid solutions just to keep the thing limping along, you know, and money is running out the other end like a sieve, you know. And speaking of sieve, another consideration with old systems, so many security holes. Right. You just can never patch up all the gaps that there are. We saw an interview this week uh, with White House cybersecurity coordinator Michael Daniel, and he said, Hardware and software in some of these legacy systems are, you call them indefensible, no matter how much money and talent we put on it, right? I mean, that's yikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's scary stuff. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, of course, Daniel also said what needs to actually happen is to support better refreshment of these old systems with how Congress allows the funding to be disseminated, okay? But, you know, anyway, that's that makes it even smarter to, uh, you know, that Rice is taking advantage of this coming gap to, you know, usher in that change. So Yes, yeah. I thought that was a, I thought it was a, a good good interview and good luck good luck Stephen Rice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, you they know, will they will get all the newest things automatically yes. rolled out for security patches and stuff. You know, they don't need they're not going to need their internal staff to be doing that. And so, you know, this I think this is going to be a, a win for them. So, and yeah, that's a good amount of lead time like, too. So it certainly, it certainly sounds like it. I thought it was I thought it was worth sharing. Yeah, great. Okay, well, that's all for this episode. We'll go back to watching the CR. <laughs> Yes. CR progress, if there is any. So um, if you are a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can find links to all the headlines we recap today in this episode for further reading on VAO. It'll be on the same page where you downloaded this podcast. And as always, you can comment about the podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback, the format, the content, your predictions for the CR or a shutdown or what you're planning to do if you get vacation time. Ooh. <laughs> Anything else that you would like to tell us? Well, and as Dara mentioned, we are anxiously waiting for word on funding for fiscal year 2016 in the next few days. But God willing, and the creek don't rise, we'll be yeah, we'll be back on October 2nd with our next weekly podcast. So tune in again next week when we sincerely hope we will be able to bring you the weekly news. And thank you for joining us. Bye.